This is exactly right. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Murder. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson and I'm honored to be the guest host this week. I'm the host of two podcasts here on the Exactly Right Network, Tenfold More Wicked and Tenfold More Wicked Presents Wicked Words. I love to listen to My Favorite Murder because it reminds me that it's okay to sometimes laugh at some pretty serious subjects on my own show. And Georgia and Karen are so good at weighing that balance between humor and respect. And it's good for me to remember that I can do that too. So I wanted to pick a few of the older episodes because I'm a new fan and I really just wanted an excuse to listen to some shows that they taped in the early years. The first is episode 99, the story of Irene Garza, told by Georgia. I've followed this case for years, one, because I'm a Texan and I'm into Texas stories, and two, because I'm fascinated with stories where murder intersects with religion. So here's the story of Irene Garza and priest John Fight. This um, this is a timely story because it's a cold case that finally, hopefully, uh, this is the end came last week uh-huh uh, but this is a story that i've been interested in it's a 40 one of the 48 hours you know we've all watched it it's really interesting texas monthly i got a lot of this information from the texas monthly which we love texas monthly the best article called unholy act by pamela colloff c-o-l-l-o-f-f this is the story of uh fucking priest john fight Oh, and the murder of Irene Garza. Oh, I don't know this. Oh, honey. Oh, shit. Fucking buckle the fuck up. Buckle down, baby. Settle in. Buckle up. Ow. Hit your foot on the coffee table. <laughs> kick the coffee table <laughs> as hard as you kick can. Kick the coffee table. Like you have a crush on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here we go. Okay. So, Irene Garza is born in 1934. She's this dark-haired Hispanic beauty from McAllen, Texas. It's an agricultural, agricultural, nope, (laughs) uh, area. Agricultural. Agricultural. (laughs) Thank you. Area, south of Texas in the Rio Grande Valley, five miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. In high school, Irene had been crowned Miss All-South Texas Sweetheart. Shit. And McAllen High School, uh, where, uh, you know, mo- everyone's fucking white back then. She had been the first Hispanic twirler and head drum majorette. Wow. So she was like b- fucking busting down borders. She's this beautiful beauty queen, but she's Hispanic. So it's, you know, a uh, sense of pride that it's, it's, you know, she's, Busting down borders, as yeah, I said. She's not, I mean, Texas, that's like b- b- blonde, big uh-huh. teeth, blue eyes. That's like usually what you're going to get out of a right. Texas beauty queen. Right. And she is, you know, she's not that. Um, and she's the first in her family to graduate from college, which is a super big deal. Huge accomplishment. So at 25 years old, she worked as a teacher for disadvantaged children, which she took a great pride in some of her students were so poor and came from the neighborhood where she had come from and had been able to get out of that they came to school barefoot and irene spent her first paycheck on buying those children clothes and books yeah 
So it happens just, to this very day. Right. Even worse, I bet. Exactly. Yeah. So she's this really big-hearted, kind person. She is gorgeous, which isn't a reason why she shouldn't be a victim, but there's just this warmth coming from her, and, and you know, she had a huge future that uh, that that she earned. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Listen. Look. Look and listen. Stop it. <laughs> At the center of her life, though, is her uh, devout Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. That's like her fucking thing. On April 16th, 1960, uh, the day before fucking uh, Easter Sunday. Oh, okay. Is Saturday, Easter Saturday called a thing? <sighs> it's like chill out Saturday. <laughs> it doesn't sound like <laughs> it. Egg di- it is. Palm, uh, I don't know. Chill the fuck out Saturday, <laughs> the day before Easter. Well, go ahead. Well, Good Friday. Good Friday. Good Friday is when he went up on that cross. Okay. It might be the Ascension. He, I don't know. He chilled out on Saturday. He got rolled on up in the, that tomb. Yeah. And, and then uh, and then he was risen on Sunday. Yeah, but Saturday he just hung out. Well, Saturday was all up in that tomb. Yeah. People thinking, he's dead, it's over. Yeah, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to hide. Okay, I'm not going to get sacrilegious here. <laughs> we already have. It's real mad at me. <laughs> it's so sad because I've had this shit drummed into my head, but then, of course, well, when but, it would be impressive, it, I can't pull it out. But here's the thing, and today's the first night of Hanukkah. Uh, <laughs> we rebelled against it because we hated it so much, so everything that was drummed in our head, we're like, fuck you, I'm not remembering this. Yeah. And now we don't, now we just don't know things. Now just the guilt remains. The guilt and the... Uh, ignorance and the really good songs. Ooh, yeah, I got a bunch of those. Peace is flowing like a river. Anytime you want me to sing it to, I will. Okay, okay. Baruch Let's fucking do this. <laughs> <laughs> Name a prayer. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So on April sixteenth, fucking lazy Saturday, nineteen sixty. <laughs> Irene borrows, she's 25, she borrows her family car to drive to their church, Sacred Heart Church, where she plans to go to confession. Um, she leaves around 6.30 that evening. She's like, Mom, I'll be back. A bunch of witnesses see her get to church. Everyone's in line for confession. She gets in line as well, but no one sees her leave that church uh, that day. Ugh. She never came home that night, and the next morning... Easter Sunday. That's right. As you know. He is truly risen. He rises and her car is still parked down the street from Sacred Heart. Mm. The first clue comes two days later when one of Irene's high-heeled shoes is spotted by the side of the road. Um, and 300 yards from there is her purse. It looks as if someone had like thrown it out the window of a passing car. There's no fingerprints on it. Um, this crazy huge search ensues, including they, they dragged irrigation canals. They go house to house through the town. Border patrol, um, planes go fucking circling. Um, 65 national guardsmen are called out to assist what became at the time the most extensive investigation in Valley history. Wow. But it's not till four days later after she disappeared that Irene's body is found floating in a nearby irrigation canal. Mm-hmm. She's fully dressed except for her shoes and underwear are missing. The right side of her face is badly bruised. She had two black eyes and the autopsy reveals that she had been beaten with a hard object and suffocated. The state of decomposition suggests that she'd been dead for fewer than four days. So maybe she had been kept somewhere for a day or so. Um, and she had been raped while unconscious. Mm. Yeah. 
the local newspapers go fucking nuts with rumors and speculation. Everyone is like being fucking targeted or fingered, uh, including this prominent local citizen who had died of a heart attack days after she disappeared, you know, or that had been transients or someone that had a crush on her because she was so beautiful, but she was also, you know, not, she was dating, but not, you know, she was Catholic. Um, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, detectives questioned more than 500 people in the weeks following the murder, but behind the scenes, detectives, they don't talk about this in public and the newspapers don't really talk about this. They are focusing on a 27 year old priest named John Fight. What? Yeah. A priest. Okay. Fight. It's F-E-I-T had recently finished his seminary training in San Antonio and his name kept turning up in their investigation. So he had recently come into town. He was a bright and well, he was bright and well-mannered. He had dark hair and horn ridden glasses. He looked like he'd be in Weezer. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he struck parishioners though, as aloof and a bit of a loner and seemed ambivalent about his vocation. When he was asked why he had joined the priesthood, he said, I just want to give it a try. Uh, <laughs> I'm fucking sorry, but if God isn't in that sentence or Jesus or some fucking, That's, you can't say that out loud. No. If, is was he new to Catholicism? You gotta, you gotta like be in it to win it. Like if anyone asked either of us why we wanted to do a true crime podcasts, it would be like a passionate plea of how interested in fucking crime we are. That's right, and we're not and talking, talking to God, right? <laughs> Mostly talking. But also, like, to not... It's almost that very glib, flippant thing of... Cocky. Like, it's, here's my funny joke, and, like, really, it's none of your business. Right. Is what he's saying. Right. Which, Which you're is not like, supposed to say to... Like, anyone who's asking you is, like, being earnest and being like, tell me, I want to connect to you. You're a priest. I'm looking for some fucking guidance and some wisdom. Can I get a fucking... Amen, please. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> On the night of Irene's disappearance, Father Fight had heard confessions and taken part in a midnight mass. He'd also admitted to his superiors that he had met privately with Irene in the church rectory. And I wrote in parentheses, the house, because I didn't know what a rectory was. I thought it was an office, the church's office. I thought it was, you know, where he went and wrote out his, I thought it was an office. Well, it's a house. Right. I didn't know that. It's the priest house that's, but it's connected to the church. So it kind of is like an office. Do all the priests live there or just the one like head priest? It's, um, it's kind of like case by case. Like mm-hmm. in my hometown, St. Vincent's, um, they live at the rectory and, but you can also go there. Like at my mom's funeral, we went to talk to the priest in the rectory, okay. like in a downstairs office. Doesn't rectory sound like it should be like a side room office? Well, it sounds like factory it's where they're just right. churning out Jesus statues <laughs> all day and night. But that, but I mean, I think it's like, it's basically, um, you know, the church hall is where people like uh-huh, have their, uh-huh. you know, Sunday coffee clatches or whatever. Uh-huh. The rectory is where you'd go and you're like, we need to plan a funeral. We need to plan a wedding. This, there's some serious shit happening here. This is the business. This and then is- upstairs, the priests live. Unless- and then it's the busy bodies next door. <laughs> yes. Making fucking. I was going to say kugel, but they don't <laughs> no. eat kugel. No, they actually, okay. they ban kugel okay. long ago. All right. I get it. So the rectory is okay. Uh, and that was viewed by other priests as really inappropriate to take anyone, especially a fucking hot 25 year old lovely woman. All right. So, so well, that. yeah, because unless she has called, like, if it was a 
parish business she would have called like the lady the lady that runs the office and been like i need to make an appointment but this was for confession specifically Oh, yeah. No, you do that in the confession booth. There's a there's a booth that is titled for the thing <laughs> she was doing. They had people build it right into the church. So people specifically you can sit there and pray and then look at people getting confession. Uh-huh. That's the whole idea of confession. Well, he took her to the rectory. Gross. Pass. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's problematic. Yes, it is. Also, several churchgoers who stood in his confession line, which had fucking stalled out because he fucking picked her out and took her to the rectory to oh. talk. Oh, that night told detectives that he seemed to have been absent from the sanctuary for long periods of time. And another priest, Father John O'Brien, reported seeing scratches on his hands when they drank coffee together at midnight mass. Ooh. Uh-huh. Ooh. Uh-huh. Then detectives learned that on March 23rd, so that's three weeks before Irene, uh, Irene disappeared and her body was found, that a woman had been attacked at a Catholic church 12 miles from that church. The one where Irene went to. Uh-huh. 12 miles away. 20-year-old college student Maria America Guerrera had visited Sacred Heart Church in Edinburgh and noticed a young man with dark hair and horn rim glasses. Weezer. Uh, sitting alone in one of the back pews. And in her mind, she was like, that. I, I think she had an immediate reaction to him. He made me nervous. But she was like, calm down, uh, Maria. You're in the church. You're in the fucking house of God. Nothing can go wrong. Right. You know, she let her guard down. Yeah. Which is totally understandable. In a church, of course. In a church. Yeah. And when she went to the altar and knelt at the communion rail, uh, a man grabbed her from behind and tried to put a rag over her mouth. Holy so, shit. Yeah. She fucking fought the shit out of him. And when he put his hand back over her mouth to silence her because she was screaming, he, she bit the shit out of his fingers until he drew blood. Nice. She drew blood. Yes. That's, you know what I'm saying? Yep. She ran out the side door of the church. She escaped. And in her sworn statement, she said that she thought her attacker was a priest. That was the first feeling she got. Wow. Which was very controversial. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I bet. Because this is the 50s or the 60s. This is like, this is 1960s. So we're technically still in the 50s. So I wrote about this, that this is, this is a long time before the sexual allegations against priests started to come out and people believed yes. them. That This wasn't until the 90s that these allegations came out against priests sexually molesting children. And it wasn't even until way later that people believed them. Well, and, and of course, horrible document. I mean, oh, amazing I, documentary. I wrote this down. There was, is it the, um, it's, uh, deliver us from evil. And there's a guy in it that talks about when he got molested by a priest, right? Being driven in the police, the priest's car because they, he didn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I'll take him out to ice cream or whatever. Gets molested in the priest's car. The priest drops him off. He walks into the house, says to the mom, what just happened? The mother slaps him across the face <sighs> and says, how dare you ever say that? And then the priest continues visiting their house for years to come. It's the most upsetting. It's just children against adults and mm-hmm. there's no, everyone's like, no fucking way. It's not even children against adults. It's children against God's chosen people and these I highly religious people, which I don't completely understand, which is why I was excited to talk to you about this because you were raised Catholic. They're infallible. Yes. They are infallible. And you talking badly against a priest is talking badly against Jesus fucking Christ. That's right. Right. It's this, it's, it's like pre-Vatican II shit where it's like, it's old, 
like when the popes used to control everybody and they were the richest people and they fuck anything they wanted and it was just all about power and money and basically these yeah this is why people who were pedophiles went into the right. priesthood because they went in with carte blanche and we're not saying that Catholicism is bad religion that priests are bad people that any you know we're not I'm not talking shit on any of this it's just this reality of a of a really bad period that happened that uh we need to acknowledge well yeah and i mean i think at this point it's so been acknowledged most of the people that i know that are good catholics and that are faith-based like they don't they they still believe in they have a relationship with god and spirituality but most of the adults that i know because of the stuff that's happened in the catholic church are incredible and i don't just mean like people my age i mean like people my parents age that are just so uh it's like you you can't look at that power structure and go this should continue this is yeah this is going great they've handled stuff great right and it should continue there's there are very few people that feel that way right because it's just so what a horrible thing it's not you can't give people absolute power like that no no not at all especially that access that access to families but but i have to say this too like there are priests in my in saint vincent's that are some of the best people i've ever met absolutely and it's just that kind of like it's almost like the bad ones steal the good the goodwill from the good ones definitely um because those ones it's like what what a great effect they have on people's lives yes that's how it all works definitely um so okay so uh, yeah so this is way before any of these things came to light so at sunday mass after irene's funeral just to show you how protected priests were the priest told the congregation that he knew there were rumors that a priest was involved in irene's murder and he said quote it is impossible that a priest would commit a crime like this don't speak of it don't even let yourself think it he said that himself at to the congregation Uh uh-huh yeah right um in late april uh detectives drained the irrigation canal where they had found irene's body and on the bottom was a light green eastman coda slide viewer with a long black cord so like a a slide viewer yeah like a picture viewer like one of these yeah but like to the wall oh okay like a slideshow yeah thing yeah (laughs) Oh, we call those coda slide viewers at our house. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is a photo of it online if you look it up. I mean, like of the actual one. So it's got its long cord on it. It's at the bottom of the irrigation canal where they think her body was thrown in very close to it. And they also find a candelabra that belonged to the church. John Fight is like, oh, yeah, I, I bought that coda slide thing last summer. He like is like, oh, yeah, that was mine. And those candelabra, that candelabra belongs to the church. So what he probably strangled her with and what he probably hit her with a fucking head with is at the bottom of the fucking canal. And he raises his fucking hand and is like, that's mine. Wow. Yeah. Because kind of in the confidence of knowing no one can do anything about it. Who fucking, yeah, maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So finally, the priest sits down with the detectives in early May. He provides a, of course, meticulous account of his actions on Easter weekend. He says that he had counseled Irene in the Sacred Heart Rectory. He said, yeah, I totally did that because she had some information she wanted to give me that was private. So I brought her. That's why I brought her in there. Um, he had, but, <laughs> Because the confession booth, uh-huh. which is a muffled clo- closet that uh-huh. no one can hear the from the outside mm-hmm. of, wasn't private enough. She could only scream her confession <laughs> is the problem. Jesus. No. Uh 
he saw her leave though at whatever time and then he had these like dumb excuses for why he had cuts on his hand and he's like and goodbye polygraph tests implicate him in both irene's murder and the attack on maria guerrera a couple weeks earlier and in august father fight is indicted for assault with intent to rape maria guerrera oh shit yeah the jury though motherfucking deadlocks and the proceedings end in a mistrial and so rather than face a second trial uh in 1962 father fight pleads no contest to reduce charges of aggravated assault gets fined five hundred dollars and that's it mm-hmm mm-hmm takes that right out of the uh goodbye he takes it right out of the church Ooh, the bucket the, what do they call it the uh collection plate oh now i'm losing all of my terminology there you go i mean jesus christ that's the guy he's jesus christ he's like can jesus can see and hear you if you're trying to rape yeah. people in church clearly yeah so it's now alleged that the district attorney that the district attorney at the time and church leaders cut a deal to stop the investigation into John Fight to protect the reputation of the church. Mm-hmm. Also, most elected officials at the time in the it's the Hilde, Hildeg, Hildego County were Catholic, mostly elected leaders. Yeah. And it was at a time when none other than fucking Senator John F. Kennedy is running for the pres- for president that year. Who is a fucking Catholic. That's right. It's, he's the only, he's, there's never been a Catholic president before. He's the, there's only one other Catholic that had ever been a nominee for president. Oh. And one of the major parties he had lost. So, and Anthony. Was it Dewey? I don't remember. (laughs) I didn't even write it down. No, that wasn't an honest question. I I wouldn't have known. Um, (laughs) And anti-Catholic prejudice is fucking big time. So they're like, we need Kennedy to win. We're all fucking Catholics. Let's not give them a reason to hate Catholics. Oh, okay. So like for political reasons. Yeah. Including JFK being fucking elected. Wow. And like, you know, it's Texas. It's a big fucking place. God, that's so funny to think. I just always, it's just my own weird bias. Like I, I used to think everyone was Catholic. Mm. I, when I was a kid that hmm. I just assumed everyone was Catholic. That's so interesting. Was, was there a lot of Catholic? Well, you went to a Catholic school. Um, I went to Catholic school, but also our town was just small and mostly Christian. Although then later on, I learned that there was a big bunch of, um, Petaluma was like one of the biggest, uh, receivers of, um, of, uh, immigrants oh, oh. after World War II oh. of, uh, Jewish, um, people who are running from the war. W- refugees. <laughs> Thank you. Where do they live now? They still live there. There's, there's like, Jewish, a lot of Jewish There's a people couple in? temples in Petaluma. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I think one or two of the families had like chicken farms. So they're like, everybody go out and work on, go work on the chicken ranch. Very cool. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that could be a lie. No, <laughs> nope. You said it. No, I I'm, believe it. I'm almost positive I read that somewhere. It's true. It feels so true. It feels really good okay. in my heart. Great. Okay. So basically, that means no murder charges are ever filed against Father Fight. And shortly after the killing, the church transfers him to a faraway monastery. So in the 60s, he spent some time at a treatment center for troubled priests in New Mexico and at monasteries <laughs> in multiple states. Hold, hold the phone, please. I will not. Uh, I want to go to a 
treatment center for troubled priests and kick them all in the dick write the horror movie that needs to be written mm. out of that i mean like that the children come and attack and kill them all oh my, oh my god, god. it's like children <gasps> of the corn but at a fucking monastery for troubled quote troubled troubled priests, priests where it's revenge the children come out of the fields it's called you're in troubled priests you're in trouble you're in trouble i heard what you did this past summer right yeah. Said, said Jesus. Said Jesus to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Who? Mm-hmm. Everyone in that neighborhood where that place was was just like move away. Well, remember when we watched um, what was the really great documentary in on Netflix over the summer? The Keepers. What, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they and he went and visited the house where all of the priests had gotten sent to, and yes. they lived in their own child molesters and shit. Yeah, Keepers is still fucking great. Everyone should watch it. It's so good. Listen, if you want to have a binge weekend of terrible shit, yeah. you should watch Deliver Us from Evil, which will you break just your heart. Need to, you need to watch. It's historical information that you need to know about. It's just fucking life lessons. And you just need to like calm your pessimism a little bit. Optimism. I was going to say. Well, it also, there's, it's that thing of, it, it feels like a very new cultural thing where it's like, everybody's got to get real with the fact that, that true sociopaths and psychopaths move in this world mm-hmm. in exactly these unexpected ways. They are baseball coaches. They are priests. They move into their they're boy man, They manipulate. Yes. And they're good at it. They're good at and it. And you're they're, not, and you need to get okay with that. Yes. You got, you got to, if you are a single parent, you got to keep your eye double peeled. You got to, triple check all the people that want to be in your child's life all that stuff which we're saying that to people who know it by heart i mean like that yeah but you forget that shit man like when it's you and your people and this you know a guy you're dating yeah of course it's fine you know what i mean it's like of course you don't think about it in terms of your own life you think about it outside of you yes it's just so it's i remember reading that sports illustrated thing about how many baseball coaches like little league coaches mm. were pedophiles and it's just the most frightening and insane Wait, thing i want to read that it, you got to read it it's, what is in, it? it's insane i'm pretty sure it was at the cover sports illustrated like 10 years ago oh my god i need to read that it's so crazy because <sighs> it's then they're they're in the lives they're right there with all the sports and everything's dude and sports and couldn't be safer and, and games and we need to go to this and practices and, and then they then that's how they select the ones who don't have anybody that's going to come and beat the shit out of them if they do anything to the kid they like that's how they spot vulnerable children and people who are i mean it's just the most fucked up thing very awful um also okay also the movie spotlight which came out recently amazing is about that too so watch so have a nice binge weekend oh and then watch bob's burgers Oh and my Big Mouth God. to get yourself to feel better. <laughs> yes, Big Mouth is amazing. Big Mouth's so good. Okay. Bah, bah, bah. Da, 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 da. New Mexico, monasteries. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, <laughs> here's fun. At one point, <laughs> here's fun. Here's a, here's fun. Here's Left fun. Turn. <laughs> At one point, he served as a supervisor charged with clearing priests for assignments to churches. So the priests who got sent to the fucking, you're, you're a terrible person. Get out of this town. They're going to fucking murder you. Yeah. The attempted rapist priest. Uh huh. They sent him to this, these places and these monasteries. And our fucking friend, John Fight, was on the fucking clearinghouse to let them go back into the goddamn world. Good. This motherfucker. Help. Yeah. Just good decisions all around yeah. being made. Everybody. Absolutely. At every level. We have one open seat. Who should we fill with? John Fight. Oh, wait, is the devil not available? <laughs> okay, then. Right. 
So one of the men that he held clear for Parrish was James Porter, who isn't the guy from Deliver Us From Evil, but could be. A child molester convicted of assaulting more than 100 victims who was a priest. He was like, get him back in there. You're in the game. You fucking dick. Okay. John Fight left the priesthood in 1972 and moved to Phoenix, worked as an uh, insurance salesman, got married, had kids and grandkids. Lives a fucking normal goddamn life. Whoa. Meanwhile, Irene's parents, Nick and Josefina Garza, they both passed away in the 90s without ever seeing anyone prosecuted for Irene's murder. But they were assured by people in the church that Father Fight, um, who they always fucking suspected, would be punished by the church if they found out anything had been had been done and they were assured that this was a bigger sentence handed than any court could hand down and so they're like okay great because they still fucking believe in the catholic church because they were fucking catholics well yeah so april 2002 let's jump ahead okay all right good 42 years after the murder of irene garza a former monk named dale tashney who had left the priesthood more than 30 years earlier to marry suddenly he gets a fucking conscience he says that in the summer of 1963, he was asked to counsel John Fight while he, while John stayed at the monastery where, uh, this guy Dale was a fucking priest, monk. Uh, during their six months of counseling, John Fight told Tashney of the night that Irene died. This oh. guy called the fucking investigator and was like, let me tell you something. He told him that Father Fight had asked her to come to the church rectory, had heard her conf- and had heard her confession. And after the confession, he had restrained Irene, uh, maybe bound and gagged her. He had fondled her breasts. And before he returned to the sanctuary to hear confessions, he had moved her to the rectory basement. And later that evening, he moved her to another location. Then on Easter Sunday, so she's still alive. Then on Easter Sunday, he put Irene in a bathtub and placed a bag over her head. And as he was leaving the bathroom, he heard her say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then Tashney said, when he came back later on that day or early evening, he found her dead in the bathtub. And then that night, uh, he put her in a car and took her and dropped her off along a roadside where there was a canal. Uh, Tashney had kept it to himself out of a sense of religious obligation for more than four decades. He didn't tell anyone. It's like he confessed to him and you can't. In terms of being a priest that hears confession, you're not allowed to repeat it. I mean, I feel so grateful that he came forward and said stuff, but at the same time, it's like... Some this person, this man murdered this woman. It doesn't. That's then. That's not a priest. Then that's not a priest anymore. The man who murdered someone is not doesn't get to have that. No, but everybody gets it. It's not just for priests. It's that's the let. That's like they're talking to God through you, and you don't get to intervene. Yeah, because they're asking for forgiveness, and so you have to be that. No matter what somebody says to you as a priest, you have to say you're forgiven. He was counseling him, so it wasn't confession. I mean, I don't know if technically, yeah. Well, I, I yeah. bet you they'd say yeah, it yeah, was yeah. just for the protection. Right. 
But the other thing is, wasn't she found brutally beaten? Yeah. So that's bullshit, She right? was beaten and raped while unconscious. So clearly he left some shit out. Yeah. Or they just didn't tell you everything in this article. Yeah, yeah. it's too much. But I would bet you that, like, he's basically saying, well, I, I just did a couple things. I walked things, away and she died. And then she's, I mean, it's unfortunate. Like, yeah. he's basically telling the story to this other priest, like, too bad that happened, as opposed to... Yeah. You violently fucking attacked this woman. Well, one of the things that Tashney said was he didn't show what I would consider to be um, compunction or sorrow or grief or anything like that. So uh, he had kept it to himself. And then he at this point in 2002, he's in his 70s and he had a change of heart. Uh, And he was like, I'll fucking testify. Like, let's do this. Wow. Wow. Which is incredible. So Texas Rangers then begin to reinvestigate the case. When he's contacted, fight, who's now 69 year old, says that man doesn't exist anymore and he won't say anything else. Like the man who who raped uh-huh. and murdered a woman? Uh huh. Yeah, he does, dude. Yeah, he does. Sorry, he's in you. <sighs> so, Rangers also interviewed Father O'Brien, who back then was like, I saw scratches on his hands. And he tells the Rangers that a few months after the murder, fight, uh, he had confronted fight about whether he had killed Irene and the priest had told him everything. So he too was like, yep, I know everything. I'll fucking testify. Oh shit. Um, and yeah, he'll, he'll tell everything. So, but- and I would say this too. This was back. I, I think that people very rarely broke that. Like if I'm telling you, if I'm giving you confession, you're like basically you have to forgive me at the end. You don't get to say anything. That's in like, you know, police. TV right. shows all the time. Is that not true anymore? Well, no, I'm saying I think back then no one would ever break it. Whereas nowadays, yeah. I think it's like now everyone's seeing th- the reason that that rule is put into place, maybe not have been for the best reason. Right. Or that, that there were many more people that would exploit it than anyone would expect. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, Am so- I getting Catholic defensive? <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) So then in July 2002, the Brownsville Herald ran a front page story on Irene's murder and the suspicion about John Fight. And so Hildego County District Attorney Renee Guerrera was asked if he planned to pursue an indictment in the case because they were like, we have all this fucking evidence now, including two people who he told murdered Irene and they're willing to testify. And this guy, Renee, was like, can it be said, quote, can it be solved? Well, I guess if you believe that pigs can fly, anything is possible. And then he said, why would anyone be haunted by her death? She died. Her killer got away. So he fucking flippantly. Who is this guy? This guy, Renee Guerrera. He's a fucking Hildigo. No, wait. Hill. Mm. Hidalgo. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. I only say that because of the movie starring Viggo Mortensen about him and his horse. Hildal- Hidalgo. Hidalgo, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He, so at the time. So then he got all this negative publicity and he's like, OK, fine. Uh, Sorry, he was the prosecutor, though? He was the district attorney. Oh, OK, OK. So at the, so he got all this negative publicity because her fucking family is still alive. Her parents aren't, but the rest of her family is like, we fucking care that she died. Yeah. So he in 2004, he asked he has two of his prosecutors present the evidence to a grand jury to indict John fight. But they don't fucking call either of those priests to testify. The hmm. ones who he told that he killed them. And so, of course, in 2004, the jury declined to indict him and no build the case. So that was the chance to fucking finally, before John Fight dies, to get him 
held responsible for the murder of Irene. And those two priests had said that they would testify. They wanted to. They were waiting by the fucking phone to be called up to testify. And they just didn't do it. They didn't call them. Hmm. And it, it turns out, of course, Renee Guerrera was Catholic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 10 fucking years later, in 2014, dis- there's a district attorney's race in Hidalgo mm-hmm. County. And finally, Renee gets fucking beat by Ricardo Rodriguez. And, he, and in his race, he promised he would re-examine the case of elected. Oh, shit. So fucking Ricardo is elected. Wow. Great. They spent a year and two months re-examining the case and all the evidence. And more than 57 fucking years after the murder of Irene Garza, 83-year-old John Fight is finally fucking arrested in <sighs> Arizona for first-degree murder. Former monk... Dale fucking Tashney, 88 years old, fucking testifies. Dang it. 88 years old. Now, when you say monk, does it say anything else about that, him being a monk? There's just a photo of him with that hair. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He's got the robes and the hair, and you're like, oh, honey, you must have been dedicated, because my God. He looks like he's on space balls. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what that is. If he's like a Christian brother, or what like his specific deal was. I'm sure it's very involved, but I don't understand. Okay, I yeah. just knew that it was like a monk, but he was like, but it was like priests were hanging out with him. Yeah, I don't know. He's just in a different kind of like setup, Catholic thing. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he made wine. <laughs> the hair, though. Yep. My God. So Dale, what's up? 88-year-old Dale testifies against him. December 8th. What's the date today? The 12th? Yes. December fucking 8th, 2017. Fucking four days ago. Oh, shit. Yeah. After a six-day trial in the Hidalgo County Courthouse in Edinburgh, a jury fucking convicted John Fight. Whoa. Now 85-year-old ex-priest of murdering Irene Garza and he received a life sentence in prison. Oh, my God. Yeah, this just fucking came out. That's incredible. 1960 is when it happened. And fucking, what are we, 2017? Yeah. If wow. she were still alive today, Irene would be 83 years old. In a letter written to a friend uh, right before she died, she stated that she's happier than she's ever been and said to her friend, I remember the last time we talked, I told you I was afraid of death. Well, I think I'm cured. You see, I've been going to communion and mass daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith and happiness it's given me. And uh, that's the story of the murder of Irene Garza by motherfucker John Fight. Wow. I can't believe that ended well. I know, right? It never happens no. in the Catholic Church. Every oh. time it's a Catholic Church story, yeah, it frustrates you. It disgusts you. Well, cold cases too goes crazy. Yeah, so true. he's like in one of those walkers in court that are also chairs. Yeah, you know that you see. Yeah, trying to look all old. And he he he. A couple of things he said when he got arrested were like, "I don't understand. This happened in 1960." Like he his excuse of "I don't understand this was happening now. This was so long ago." And this woman says to him, "There's no statute of limitations on murder." Like 
he's trying to play it off like this was so long ago. Yeah, why are you guys making a big deal about yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. He's acting like a confused old man. Yeah, and he's a fucking sexual predator and murderer. Well, also, it doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter what his opinion or about that he's it a is. Grandpa or whatever. Or it sucks his for confusion them. is not relevant. No. It, you you already were confused. That's why you're like this. Yeah. So you your opinion about it and how you see it is not valid because according to you no one's life matters right. and any woman is some woman an object who died you get in 1960 who cares no yeah. no people a lot of people care yeah. a lot of people care and a lot of people are tired of people like that guy exploiting positions of not just power but automatic trust yeah it's yeah. that thing. That's what's so gross. Yeah. Can you imagine going into a church or like, I can't imagine going into a church and getting a creepy vibe of like, oh no, the guy that works here is scaring me. Yeah. That's the exact opposite of how churches are supposed to work. Well, there should be no such thing as automatic trust. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, but even, you know, your fucking pediatrician or your fucking, you know, your, um, what's it called? Anything. There's just, there's no such thing anymore. Right. And there never was. We just let it happen. Right. And yeah. It's, it's okay to be, just be aware. Be careful and thank God for the internet and checky, checky, checky. Check everyone's fucking everything record. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Such a good story. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. I still hear people talking about that story here in Texas, even though John Fight died in prison in 2020. Okay. For Karen, I picked episode 130, which covers the creepy, nasty case of Fred and Rosemary West in the UK. Again, this is a story I've read about for years. I love that they covered this case because I'm not sure that everyone's heard it. And it's just so terrible. So here's the story of Fred and Rosemary West in their house of horrors in England. So my story this week is one that we haven't done yet. It's super famous. People ask us to do it all the time and then ask us why we haven't done it. Great. And it's another one of those ones where it's like, I'm going to save it for a live show. No, no, I want to do it at a live show. And it's so depressing and I don't want to do it. Yeah. Because it is the hideous. (gasps) And I am telling you, if you have any any issues or triggers around molestation, incest, uh, sexual abuse at all, you do not want to listen to the story because it's fucking terrible. It's the story of Fred and Rosemary West. Oh, yeah. It is. It's a good one. It's so, like, I have attempted to do this story I think like four different times and every time I'm just like, I don't, this is awful. I want to hear it and I don't have those triggers because I'm a fucking monster who likes terrible things all the time. Right. But I can imagine you doing this at the London show and it just going quiet. Yes. But then they're like, why didn't you do it? I know it's such a weird balance, but it's also like, yeah, it, for live shows, we need to be able to talk to each other and yeah. like at least have a semblance of a good time and interaction and this is just all this is some of the darkest shit of all time well i must not know all the dark shit then so tell me yeah it's crazy and but the the good thing that that i was happy about is early on um i i tried to do a recommendation and tried to reference this show called it was a um i think originally it was like a tv show in england um Starring Emily Watson called Appropriate Adult. Mm-hmm. And it stars Emily Watson. It's Dominic West, who is from The Wire, but mm-hmm. he's a British, amazing British actor. Um, and, uh, and then this incredible, uh, actress who, I still can't get over her performance. She plays Rosemary West <gasps> and her name is Monica Dolan. And she is so Can fucking good. Uh, I don't have a picture okay. of her. Um, she's so fucking good in this thing, inappropriate adult. So Emily Watson plays well, essentially there's a, a thing in England. It's uh, when you, they have a person that's essentially like a citizen social worker that just is there as the witness to make sure that the person, when they're being interviewed by police is being treated fairly mm-hmm. and advocate what's that it's a victim oh you mean but it's a murderer advocate exactly it's oh, it's shit. like basically 
And it's for, it's usually either for children who've been arrested or for people who are like somehow, um, have a, maybe a learning disability or something wrong like, with them. But they, so they bring her, they bring, you know, this woman in, um, to, to be this, I believe her name was Janet Leach and it's a true story. So when we get to that part, you can, I would 1000% recommend appropriate adult. I'm watching um, it. It's available on iTunes. Dude. And it's in two parts. So, uh, but it, it basically goes into once he's arrested and it goes into the insanity mm. of like how the whole case kind of unfolds. Mm. Um, so anyway, that, uh, that's part of where I got this whole story. But, um, and then there was an article in the independent written by Will Bennett in October of 1995 where I got a bunch of information. Cool. Um, so we'll start with Rosemary West, uh, unlike anyone in, in any, I, I just can't like, when you talk about this woman, you see a picture of her, Stephen, would you pull up a picture? She look, oh, I know she's like super motherly, right? Yes. She looks like every mom from the eighties, totally. like the really big glasses and like sh- just a short kind of reasonable hair. Yeah. Little front, little front zone. A little, she's, had, <laughs> she's in the front zone for sure. She's had some kids. She's lived like, she just doesn't care. Eight like, kids. She's like, she eight. just, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. So she's, she just looks like the average lady yeah. walking down the street with her grocery and bag. And no shame on the front zone. Like, I have the front zone. I'm days. the mayor of the fucking front zone. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, this photo of them is just oh, classic. She took her glasses off for the photo. It just looks like they're on a Sears couch with the best wallpaper I've ever seen in my life in the background. It, it looks like the fucking uh, canvas we have in the yes, loft. and they use that inappropriate adult. They have her sitting on a couch in front of that wallpaper, like so they they clearly tried to recreate the house as it was. And this house is so fucking creepy. She looks cute. She's got her little like Dorothy Hamill haircut. He looks like um, if uh, um, Jermaine. Not Jemaine. Um, yeah, if Jemaine from fucking Flight of the Concords, like, really wanted to go all out and play, like, an ugly, gross dude. Don't you think? <laughs> I yes. think Jemaine Clement is hot as fuck. Don't get me wrong. No, he, he is he looks for sure. Like a leisure suit Jemaine. It's like if Jemaine on Halloween trying to be a monster. Right. Essentially. Right. Um, cause he does look a lot like, he looks like a Muppets monster. Yes. Essentially. Yes. His teeth are crazy. He has like unibrow. Um, his, but small eyes and he just, he looks like he's up to no good. Totally. Um, I'm and sorry. that's also why he's so fascinating in, um, uh, appropriate adult. You get that sense of what a true psychopath he yeah. is. I bet he has like he, a crazy laugh. What? I bet he had like a crazy laugh. Oh, maybe. Like an unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) Something you wouldn't expect. Like the kind of laugh that would make you leave a bar. Right. No matter how many vodka Collins you had waiting for you. It would like kind of jar you. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. So Rosemary was born Rosemary Letts in Devon, November 29th, 1953. And of course it is, it's all of these, they're both of their backgrounds, tragedy from jump. So Rosemary's parents, he actually calls her Rose for the most of the time. Um, both of her parents suffer from mental illness. Her mother, when she's pregnant with Rose, falls into a deep depression and they give her electroshock therapy. Ooh, with a baby. With the baby. So there's lots of theorizing that uh, there was prenatal injury to her, probably definitely in the brain. Yeah. Um, so because when uh, Rose is growing up, 
lots of aggression, lots of temper tantrums. Mm. She's a terrible student. Um, the parents have a terrible marriage. Her father, Bill, is a paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, fuck. Yep. Um, so he's super violent and he is terrifying. He is, uh, there's just this awful presence in the home. Um, to the point where the mother moves herself and Rosemary out of the house. Um, but, uh, in her adolescence, Rosemary moves back into the house. Oh, honey. Um, and it's, it's around the same time. So she hits puberty and becomes obsessed with her body and her developing body. She has a brother that she walks around naked in front of all the time that she begins oh, to no. engage in incestuous acts with. Hey, hey. Um, and, uh, she essentially it's not happening out of the blue it turns out her father has been molesting her since she was 13 years old of course he has yeah and so she rosemary not only ha- is obsessed with sex and and uh, but she's also preoccupied with older men mm-hmm. um and that's how she ends up meeting fred west oh, because rosemary is 15 when she meets the 27 year old fred west shut up yeah ew <laughs> yeah so she's she is a sophomore in high school and he's fucking 27 oh my god and fred one of the worst people ever to exist uh-huh. as a child he was beaten and molested when he was 17 he got into a car accident that left him with a limp and a metal plate in his head head injury right cortex. after after that uh car accident he was never the same can you imagine knowing someone who got in a car accident or like living with them and being they're acting really like that always scares me when people are like he, he wasn't acting the same after that yeah like if vince got in a car accident and then started getting like these rage outbursts yeah what would i do it happens all the time it happens to people all the time i couldn't yeah, it's terrifying <clears throat> yeah it's really awful also, he's, I don't, I think that he probably wasn't the greatest before the car accident. 100%. Because he also sustained another head injury when a woman pushed him off a fire escape because he <gasps> stuck his hand up her skirt. Uh, for her. Can you imagine? I know. Whoop, She's like, bye. get the fuck out of here. Holy also, shit. Also, at some point along the line, he got his own sister pregnant. Oh, no. <laughs> I was really trying to make Georgia do a spit God take with her it. can of wine. Not in my own house. <clears throat> Gross. <laughs> Not in my backyard. Only on stage. Um, so then he moves to Scotland. After all that, he moves to Scotland to become an ice cream truck driver. Oh, but Jesus. He, uh-huh. But he ha- comes back to England after he runs over a four-year-old child. What the fuck? So dude? we're on strike 19 now with Fred West. Can't just put him to sleep. Not, no good. Um, so in the late sixties, he comes back to in- England and he gets a job as, of course, a builder. Because for some reason, hmm. all of these serial killers, somehow go into the contracting field. Hmm. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Hmm. I guess it's the independent work schedule, mm-hmm. hammers, I don't know. Burial, easy burial yeah. tool, tools and cement work. <laughs> so, uh, the only good thing anyone says about him is that he's known to be a hard worker, which is like good yeah, for him. Great. So he's the, on coke, probably. Yeah, exactly. Or he just loves fucking nails. Dig. Yeah. Um, so it's around this time where he meets 15 year old. Hi. Rose. Hi, I'm 15. Hi, I'm 27. Yeah. And, but she's like, well, I've always had this paranoid schizophrenic molester father. Yeah. So this is better. Um, that horrible father objects strongly to Rose's having her, this relationship with this old man, essentially with the crazy, crazy teeth. Um, <laughs> but she basically, 
believes that they believe that they are like psychically connected and there's this part in appropriate adult like psychically (laughs) is really what it is yeah there's a part in appropriate adult where he fred spoiler alert he ends up getting arrested he's in the police station and he goes oh rose is in the police station and they're like no no she's not here we haven't arrested her yet and he goes no she's here and then they leave <gasps> the interrogation room her. and she was there and no one no one in the room knew she was there except for fred so there is this they have a very odd creepy 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 connection and thing Ugh. um so uh their relationship starts he is abusive to her of course he's sexually you know technically sexually assaulting her and raping her she's right. 15 right um uh but he's also violent with her cuz he's a violent person so she's uh becomes pregnant relatively soon after this affair starts um and she gives birth to their daughter in 1970 her daughter their daughter's named heather uh when when she is uh, when rosemary is 17 um, Fred West already has two children Jesus. from a previous relationship and at this around the and same his sister. <laughs> no, no, he's, he, he's had a different relationship. Okay. Um, uh, he's sent to prison for petty theft and for fine evasion around the same time. So 17 year old, highly unstable Rose becomes mother to now three children all at once. Well, she has to take over those other two kids. Yep. Jesus. Yeah, and they're is that names, what they call it takeover. It's a ta- it is a full takeover. Um, so Fred, it's two daughters. Unfortunately, Charmaine and Anna Marie mm-hmm. are, are his daughters um, that he had from a previous relationship with a woman named Rena Costello. And so, at some point, while Fred is still in jail, and Rosemary is taking care of those three kids, Charmaine, one of Fred's daughters, disappears. <gasps> Uh huh. And when asked where she's gone, Rose tells people that she's gone to Scotland to to live with her biological mother. Uh-huh. Um. So when Fred gets out of jail, uh, he comes back and they move from the house that they did live in to the now infamous twenty house at twenty five Cromwell Street in Gloucester. Oh, and the neighbors know them as slightly eccentric but nice. They. People say that they're the kind of neighbors that would do anything for you. And that's because they have no fucking idea what's going on in what is actually and in truth a complete hell house. So it turns out Rosemary is a sex worker who is working out of her own home. Okay. And they have set up the house. The bedrooms have are outfitted with cameras and listening devices. Mm, She's still a teenager at this point. She is. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You know, 18 or 19 or something. Yeah, she's in her late teens, early 20s okay. when all this starts. So Fred can watch these sex- se- sessions she's having. Gross. We'll call them sessions with her clients from afar and in the house. Um, and if that's not dark enough for you, it's not dark enough for me. Okay. Then one of her clients is her own father, Bill. <laughs> uh huh. That then Fred knows that. That's dark enough for me. That well, it gets darker. <gasps> Because then Rose eventually encourages Fred to begin to sexually abuse Anna Marie. <gasps> and Rose would join in that. Ro- I mean, she is. What the? F- 
Fuck. It, it actually reminds me of the Ken and Barbie killers, uh, Carlo Molka. Right. Um, and from Canada. Like giving you a gift. Like he, she gives him the gift of her sister kind of a thing. Exactly. Right. Oh, my. It's the insane sexual assault, incest. Just psychopaths who yes. have no emotional fucking understanding of human emotions. And it's the thing of when, pe- when women do that that when they're mothers and they do it yeah. to their own children it truly it's this taboo that is truly mind-blowing yeah. you know but it's not a taboo to them because they were raped by their fathers too that's exactly so it's right. not fucking weird exactly right them. it's that's that was childhood for yeah them, for both of these people yeah um yeah it's oh my god no good so uh they then begin selling anna marie to pedophiles no yeah how so, old is she Eight, uh, at the time, I think that started when she was eight, around the age of eight. Oh my God. One, we'll go one darker. Okay. The grandfather was a client also. So fucking Rosemary's gross rapist. Molesty father. Dad. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Just the worst. Yeah. This is, so again, for all the people who inquired, this is why I would, I, <laughs> I would get to about this part and just be like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is the worst story ever told. So, Eventually, Rose gets pregnant and has eight different children. Five of them are Fred West. Holy shit. Three of them are fathered by clients. They're not sure exactly who they are, but, but. Are any of them her dad? Uh, they don't, I, not, nothing I read said okay. that, but it could definitely yeah. be. There were rumors that some of them were local authority figures. <gasps> yes. So, um, I think that's why this went like un, it was rumored, but it was never reported yeah. for a long time that things went on in this household for way, way, way too long because this was basically, uh, the sex worker of, of town. Yeah. And so nobody was like, but it's also like if this authority figure comes in to, you know, have sex for money with Rosemary, it's not like he knows that other shit's going on in the house. So it's not like he would have looked into it. He didn't look into, you know, you know what I mean? Right. It's not like they were getting reports and then they were ignoring them. Right. But they also were were in no way trying to look at anything that was happening sure. in that house. Sure. Because they knew at least they were guilty of something. Right. And also there it was a lot of kind of intense S&M bondage. What? Uh, yeah. Violent sex. It's yeah. Um, at one point when they live on Cromwell Street, Rena Costello shows up to get her daughters back from Fred. Okay. And Rena disappears. Uh, so oh, the mom of the two girls, one of whom yes. is Ixnay, not around anymore. That mom disappears. Yes. Oh my God. So, okay. So in 1972, um, and this is when basically it goes from all, the ultimate depravity within the household and within their own family and their own home. And then they begin to branch out in 1972. They pick up a 17 year old hitchhiker named Carolyn Owens and they ask if she'll be their nanny because Mm -hmm. they have all these kids and they need extra help. She says, yes, she finds them nice, charming, whatever. Um, And she moves into the house on Cromwell street. Mm -hmm. And after two weeks, she tries to leave. Um, because of course it's fucking a living hell and insanity, mm-hmm. but Fred and Rose go out and they find her hitchhiking mm-hmm. and they pick her back up. They get her back into the car. Rose begins to sexually assault her. What? And then Fred pull as she's trying to fight Rose off, Fred pulls over, punches her in the face and she goes unconscious. <gasps> when she wakes up, she's back at 25 Cromwell street, gagged, hands bound, being, mol- she's 
molested all night by Rose. And in the morning, she convinces them if they let her go, she's not going to say anything to anybody. Yeah. But it's fine. No big deal. So they fucking let her go. What? She goes straight to the cops, tells them what happened. The Wests are arrested. They're charged with assault, quote, assault occasioning actual bodily harm and with indecent assault. But Mm-mm. Caroline's too scared to actually testify against them in court. She can't handle going to court. Yeah. And so on January 12th, 1973, um, the West plead guilty, but they're fined 100 pounds and released. Are you fucking kidding me? They never serve any time for that assault. And then soon after that, g- young girls around Gloucester uh, begin disappearing. Um, most of them come from broken homes or they're single women traveling by themselves. So no one really hears much about it. Not until 1992. What? Yeah. So 72 when they first kidnapped the girls. Yeah. To fucking 92, which I I was alive then. And it wasn't that long ago. 20 years. These people are kind of just doing whatever. Are you fucking kidding me? But. Here's what's happened. So there's lots of rumors around town. Yeah. People know. Is it a small town? It kind of is, right? Uh, I don't know anything about Gloucester. I didn't look anything up, but I, I it's not big. Yeah. It's I mean, like I, a it's, little... no, it's no London <laughs> is what they say in, in my mind that I'm making up right now. <laughs> if you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into, whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve. The key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines. And June's journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. So finally someone goes to the police and says fred west is raping his 13 year old daughter and someone needs to do something about it um so social services starts investigating the west family and this is when it all kicks off okay um so authorities enter the home at 25 cromwell street and they find tons of insane obscene paraphernalia everywhere so Mm -hmm. it's not just like they have, you know, they have those rooms that are outfitted with the cameras that it, where Rosemary has her clients. Yeah. But they have shit everywhere. Are there photos? Um, oh, I don't know. I'm not the photo person. I, I'm going to go look. Do it. Go down. Oh, rabbit I mean, hole. I've definitely, there's definitely a horrible wallpaper. I'll tell you that. There's some, there's oh. some, like <laughs> each room has a different color and scheme and oh. everything where you're like, the person that built this house is crazy. Is a monster. Is, it doesn't care about aesthetics okay. at all. So, they basically pull the children out of the house and they are interviewed by police and social workers and they start hearing these mm. insane stories oh, of sexual abuse. Poor babies. And emotional abuse and just 
you know, these parents are crazy. So Fred West is arrested for raping his 13 year old daughter and Rose is arrested for child cruelty. Mm -hmm. But the 13 year old daughter refuses to testify against uh, her parents. And so in June of 1993, the case falls apart. Shut up. Yeah. Once again, but authorities know this, they're, Really bad shit is taking place. And when they're interviewing all the children, they're trying to find the dot, the first daughter. The, yes. Who they said had gone back to live with her mother. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Um, so their police are trying now to track down Heather Russ. Fred and Rose, uh, say that she left home in 1987 following a family disagreement, but now she works at a holiday village in Devonshire and that they got, a, they get phone calls from her every once in a while and they'd actually, um, taken a phone call from Heather in front of the children one time so that the children also said, oh, yes, Heather called home that one time. Mom and dad both talked to her. We didn't. They they didn't let us talk to her. Yeah. Um, So uh, then they start talking to Heather's friends. And that's when they find out that 1987 was around the time Heather started telling her friends about the Mm -hmm. insane abuse that was going on in their home. Um, so authorities are putting together that she disappeared right around the time she started confiding to other people what was actually happening. Yeah. So then all the younger West children are put into basically the British version of foster care. Mm-hmm. And which is called foster care. They, ca- <laughs> they call it care. Care. Put into care. You have to whisper it. So, uh, when they, when the kids start talking to their, oh, um, yeah. the foster carers, they start telling the story about if you misbehaved at home, they, um, Fred and Rosemary would tell the kids, um, if you don't behave, you're going to go under the patio where Heather is. <gasps> yeah. And so everyone's like, ding, ding, ding. Can you imagine if you're foster parenting or foster care? You're a foster carer. Yeah. And your kid's like, oh, I don't want to go under the house like the, like my sister. Like my sister had disappeared chills i mean horrifying so so it's almost like everyone's just going like oh what what sorry what like say that again it's all like unfolding Unfolding. like oh these people who look like the most average people boring even super boring and it's like oh there's this this insane seamy underside yeah um so when they go so they basically uh they go in and they they dig up the patio Mm-mm. and they find the bones of Heather <gasps> West. And so, and this is where basically appropriate adult starts at Fred's arrest. No way. Um, where they, he had taken them to the house and he tells police, yeah, you, you can come because she's buried in the backyard. <gasps> then he changes his story. Then he changes it again. He's doing all this stuff and he's trying to manipulate Janet Leach, the appropriate adult. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at her going, you should maybe check over there. <gasps> While he's denying that anyone's buried anywhere to the police. It's, it's almost like he's two different people. Yeah. Or nine different people. Uh-huh. Like it's truly, truly either it's super um psychopathic manipulation, like he's masterminding yeah. it or he's really stupid and just kind of playing it moment to moment. Yeah. It's very hard to tell. Or that thing where it's like, well, if I'm going to get fucked for this, I want all the credit. So like, here's some other shit you should go look into. Yeah. Like you. It's interesting. It's like that thing where does he like the attention? Yeah. Does he like this weird relationship he's trying to build? He's clearly getting her interest because she's just supposed to be there standing there like witnessing things yeah. and making sure the police don't abuse a person who would be, right. you know, in custody that sure. everybody would want to punch in the face several times. Absolutely. It might help his fucking stupid looking face. Too. <laughs> Knock some teeth back into place. So 
basically because of his hints and these things where he goes he like maybe we should go down and look in the cellar and then when they get down the cellar he's like no the spirits are telling me we we shouldn't be down here yeah. so then the, the investigators like dig up this entire yeah. cellar and that's when they find six bodies <gasps> of women buried in a circle chronologically from when <gasps> they disappeared so Linda Goff is found in the cellar and she went missing on April 19th, 1973. Holy shit. She was 19 years old and she was a seamstress. She, you know, her, she was close with her family. Her, she, when she disappears without a word, her mother starts asking around and the information she gets leads to the West's house on Cromwell Street. And when she knocks on the door, Rosemary is like, oh, uh, you know, we haven't seen her. And then as Mrs. Goff is talking to her, she realizes that Rosemary is wearing Linda's <gasps> slippers and cardigan. <gasps> and then she looks and sees that Linda's clothes are hanging on the clothesline. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So she's like, I mean, what the fuck? Explain my face right now. Just hor- I guess hor- horror. 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 <laughs> um. Then there's Carolyn Cooper, who was 15 years oh. old. She di- disappeared in November of 1973 oh um, on her way to g- visit her grandmother in Worcester. If it's pr- if it's the Boston pronounced I Worcester. I bet you it's fucking not. Yeah, I bet it's Worcestershire sauce. Nancy Parkington is 21. She was a student at Exeter in December of 1973. She went home for Christmas and then she went out to visit her school friend at 1015 on the 27th of December. She was going to catch the last bus home. Never seen again. Do we think that this is all hitchhiking related? Uh, you know, I'm not sure because yeah. it's, it's some of these are these tra- people who are traveling. So yeah. then, you know, not just, I'm not victim blaming because, but I think hitchhiking was a really normal thing. And to get into a car of a couple, if you fucking watch Hounds of Love, that Australian murder I did that one time. Right. Or any of these stories. Yeah. It's like hitchhiking was very normal. Yes. And yeah. They probably had a baby in the car with them. One of their babies. That's right. You know, the story of the girl who was kept in, kept in a box under the bed. The girl in the box. That's how they got her too. Yeah. They also found the body of 21 year old Swiss student, Therese uh, Seigenthaler. Um, she'd been studying sociology in London and she had decided to hitchhike across England. And somewhere she disappeared somewhere on that trip. And also uh, a 15 year old named Shirley Hubbard, who was last seen in November of 1974. She was from a broken home. There was a couple girls who were found in that basement who were had been in either foster care or their parents were divorced. And they had started going to the West's house or hanging out there and and then disappeared. Uh, one of those was 18 year old Juanita Mott, who that that was exactly her story. So that was those were the bodies in the cellar. And then they had also dug up the garden, yeah. which is where near the patio where Heather was buried. And they found Shirley Ann Robinson, an 18 year old who had moved into the West's house. She started having an affair with Fred oh, no. and gotten pregnant by by him in May of 1978. And that's when she disappeared. So she, her body was in the garden. So basically the police thinking that they're just looking for the missing daughter discovered that basically these two people had been like these monstrous serial killers and sex abusers. Most of the bodies had been decapitated and 
Dismember. Thank you. Dismember. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. And just clearly they, there was evidence of torture. They, this wasn't just like a simple, yeah. you know, it, it was the, they were the worst of the worst. They, and the problem is that they have no evidence that Rosemary's tied to any of yeah. these murders until uh-huh. they dig up the kitchen floor <gasps> in the West's old house on Midland Avenue. Oh, can you imagine if you're there, you're living there and you get a knock at the door and they're like, Hey, hi. Hi, real quick. Sorry, we're the police. Yeah. And you, know, uh, you got a deal on this house. There's some, <laughs> there's a reason that you feel cold spots around <gasps> and bad vibes always. Oh no. Um, because Fred's daughter Charmaine's body was buried. <gasps> so remember when Charmaine disappeared because Fred was in jail? Yeah, yeah. Well, Rosemary killed her. Oh. And then when Fred got out of jail, Rosemary was, she had hidden the body. Fred's the one that put the body <gasps> under the kitchen floor. Oh my God. Yeah. So he, they were in on it together from the beginning. Yeah. And they actually had a, for, there's, there's a documentary about this. There's a, uh, there's lots of documentaries you can watch on the West, the West. There's two on YouTube and one of them is about the, uh, forensic dentistry mm. and how much it took, uh, played into this case. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how they pinpointed the time of Charmaine's death. And that's <sighs> how they got it to say Rosemary is the one who was responsible, not Fred because he was in jail. Oh. Oh, that's good. Combined. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have. They would have given her a plea to like testify against him against or some him. shit. Like she wasn't necessarily involved yeah. or whatever. And this was like, no, no, no. She was. <gasps> she had a hand in the killing, and she had a hand in this torture, and all you know, all of that. Holy shit! So eventually. Um, Rose is charged with 10 counts of murder and Fred is charged with 12 counts of murder. And when they go to trial, so they separate the two of them. When they go to trial, Rose will not look at or interact with Fred in any way. And it basically makes him go crazy. <gasps> and he freaks out, uh, and hangs himself in his cell. What? He basically doesn't. He never gets charged with anything because God, he commits suicide. I have suicide never in studied this murder clearly. It's so or these people, you know, they're so fucking crazy, and the whole thing. And his what a dick! He fucking hanged himself. Yeah, but if you watch, like, especially an appropriate adult, his weird connection with her and his weird, like, he defends her in the beginning. He says she has nothing to do with it in the beginning. And then it, it's just, it's a classic case of that, like, he's the her abuser. But then yeah. I think uh, over the years, she became his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before his suicide, there's an interview with the police where he's quoted as saying, you've the murders wrong. Nobody went through hell. It was sexual encounters gone wrong. So he tried to intimate Please. that it was some kind of... Of like mm-hmm. sex play where people were uh, it was voluntary up until the last minute you know that thing where people are getting into getting decapitated during sex right and it also that that accident doesn't happen 12 times uh-huh. you fucking asshole no here's the cool part carolyn roberts who is a hitchhiker who was afraid to testify mm-hmm. for her own trial the nanny. came back <gasps> and testified in this murder trial and she's the reason oh. that rosemary west got convicted and is still in jail to this day she's still alive she's still in jail in last july she was diagnosed with glaucoma and she's going blind and she said in a quote to the newspaper if i go blind i'm going to commit suicide (laughs) and everyone's like okay yeah everyone's like that's fine um oh my god the really weird thing is in 1996 they went to demolish 25 cromwell street Uh uh-huh it took when the the old house, the new house, the new house. Uh-huh. That's where all the horrible things happen. Yeah. It took them five days to knock the house down. Why? I don't. I, I'm not sure. If, I mean, 
was made of cement. If he did so much building and burying and cementing and doing things inside the house, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing was, um, it, you know, it was like this bizarre fortress yeah. that they had built and that the, these horrible things were happening. And of course, they, the police were immediately like, get rid of that yeah. as, a, as an entity. Yeah. It just, but then it just took them forever. So it's like they couldn't knock it down. Yeah. So that's a, the quickest, most lightest, like dipping into talking about the important things, but not living in the horror show. But you definitely can. I mean, you know, I'm gonna. Yeah, there's but there's really good. I mean, I, appropriate adult is such an incredible um it's such an incredible way to present the story because Janet Leach is as this person who is like the, you know, f- mandated witness yeah. is sitting there and you know also it was her first case oh. as, as an appropriate adult oh. i feel like never have a first case anywhere because it's always of anything i know just but for something right like second this, case you'd think it would be like you know yeah just standard standard yeah. physical child abuse where we'll she gets an easy used to one it, yeah. cuts her teeth and there's just this amazing scene where when he starts confessing he's saying it like he goes well yeah i did bury bury heather's body under the patio like he just starts talking about it like they're talking about the news and in the background emily watson playing janet leach is just sitting there with her face and it looks like her face is slowly dropping <laughs> off of her skull because she's just like what the fuck and she's there as his guy yeah you know she's supposed to be his his right hand man of like you're you're there if the police try to abuse me you're yeah. there if the and suddenly this is the monster that she has to work with wow. and then it basically the story comes out through their relationship where he keeps turning to her and going you're the only one that you know you're the only friend i have in the world she's like i'm not your friend yeah it's I'm gonna watch incredible it and she has her own whole life she has kids that like she's not getting home till late because she has to work on this case that every word she hears is like she can't unhear it and then she goes home and looks at her beautiful children they're all sitting around the dinner table mm. it's amazing that i think that is like the best way to tell the story yeah. is through a person who's life is so horribly impacted then it goes into whole things of testifying and her selling her story because she didn't have a ton of money yeah. and all the judgments and it's and all the therapy she's gonna need afterwards insanity so crazy yeah so watch a- appropriate adult parts one and two yeah, i'm gonna yeah that was amazing <sighs> so now we got that done we never have to talk about that fucking those monsters again <sighs> karen great job thank you <laughs> thank you that was very it has bothered me that i haven't done it just because yeah. it is one of the worst of the worst yeah and we talk about terrible stuff all the time but for some reason yeah, it's it just is weird that we never did that it's just so much it's just so specifically awful yeah really bad i know this is a horrible story but it brings up to me some really important themes like domestic violence. So I'm so glad that Karen and Georgia covered it. Thanks for listening. Again, I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, host of Tenfold More Wicked, and Tenfold More Wicked presents Wicked Words, where new episodes drop every Monday here on the Exactly Right Network. And if you like true crime, check out my book, American Sherlock, Murder, Forensics, and the Birth of American CSI. And an important reminder, don't forget to stay sexy and don't get murdered. Elvis, do you want a cookie?